24, prepared for sacrifice. If you have your Bibles tonight, um, we're going to be in Acts chapter 20, um, and, and well, I'm sorry, Acts chapter 21, um, and if you don't have them, your Bible, we got it all on the screen, all, all good to go. But we have been in the study of Acts for the past 24 weeks, and we've been studying um, up to this point. Last week, the Apostle Paul has met with the elders of the church at Ephesus, reminding them to do the Lord's work. Um, and not for any reason, but for his glory. Not for personal gain, not for, um, to, to, can we turn the house lights up a little bit, Matthew? I want to see some faces. Not for, not for personal gain, nothing but for the glory of God. And we saw last week, it was kind of funny how in the middle, that's good, of, of Paul preaching, he, his preaching was so good that a dude fell asleep and fell out three stories to his death out of a window. It's a preacher's dream for people to fall asleep and die when you're preaching. Um, that, that would not be a good thing on your resume. But Paul, instead of reacting negatively, is, we, we studied how he went down and embraced the man, and the man was revived. He was brought back to life. They went all back up to the room, and, and they praised God. And what would have been a night of grief turned into a night of celebration. And we talked about how, um, how do you see things. Do you see things through a lens of, uh, of a normalized eye, a fleshly eye, a this is the norm, or do you see it through a lens of what does God want out of this? What does God want to do? What does God want to make happen through this moment? And Paul was living a life where he was looking through this lens. He was, he was looking through a lens of God, what would you have? God, what do you want to happen? And today we pick up in Acts chapter 21 where Paul has finally left Ephesus and he's beginning his long-awaited journey to the city of Jerusalem. Now remember, Paul has been waiting to get to Jerusalem. He knows that God wants him to get to Jerusalem, but there's been a lot of stops along the way. There's been a lot of detours. Sometimes it was good, sometimes it was bad. Sometimes it was simply he needed to visit a church. Sometimes the people got mad at him and stoned him, and scholars even think one time he was actually stoned even to death. Um, so there's a lot of detours on the way, but he knew he had to get to Jerusalem. Now, before we get into Acts 21, I want to read uh, three verses from last week from Acts chapter 20, verses 22 through 24. It says, And now I am bound by the Spirit to go to Jerusalem. What is he bound by? The Spirit. I don't know what awaits me, except that the Holy Spirit tells me in city after city that jail and suffering lie ahead. So the only thing that God has told him is you got to go to Jerusalem and you're going to jail. Not exactly what you hear preached in churches. Not exactly an encouraging word from God. Hey, Paul, I've got an assignment for you. And in church, we, 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 we try to play it up. Oh, God's got an assignment. He's going to prosper me, and he's going to increase me, and he's going to bless me with money, and he's going to... But no, no, Paul, God said, go to Jerusalem, you're going to jail. And, we, and a lot of times I think when we get words from God, we always expect it to be positive, positive, positive. But I think tonight we have to redefine what positive and good really is. He says, jail awaits you. And that's the only thing Paul knows. Verse 24, but my life is worth nothing to me 
unless I use it for finishing the work assigned to me by the Lord Jesus. The work of telling others the good news about the wonderful grace of God. The way Paul sees it is he says, I don't care what the outcome is as long as I'm bound to him and I do one thing. Preach the gospel no matter what and make his name great. So we come to Acts chapter 21 verses 1 through 4. After saying farewell to the Ephesian elders, we sailed straight to the island of Kos. The next day, we reached, we reached Rhodes and then went to Patara. There, we boarded a ship sailing for Phoenicia. We sighted the island of Cyprus, passed it on our left, landed at the harbor of Tyre in Syria where the ship was to unload its cargo. We went ashore, found the local believers, and stayed with them for a week. These believers prophesied through the Holy Spirit that Paul should not go on to Jerusalem. Now, Pay attention to what just happened here. They found local believers, and the believers prophesied. What did they prophesy? They said, Paul, don't go to Jerusalem. Now, this seems a little strange because we just came out of a text where Paul heard from God who said, go to Jerusalem. You're going to jail. Praise God. And then he gets to Jerusalem or on the way to Jerusalem, and he meets some believers that said, we're going to prophesy to you. Don't go to Jerusalem. Now this seems a little conflicting. Because Paul says danger awaits, I'm supposed to go. But these people are saying, God says don't. Kind of conflicting, right? Well, let's read on, verses 5 through 6. When we returned to the ship at the end of the week, the entire congregation, including women and children, left the city and came down to the shore with us. And there we knelt, prayed, said our farewells, and then we went aboard and they returned home. Now I want to pause right here and I want to point out something. It was very common practice when someone left the city that the people would walk with them to the shore to watch them depart. But the practice of kneeling and praying on the shore together was something very unique at the time to the way or the movement that we now call Christianity. And I think it's very interesting because they're doing something that's common to the practice of the culture of the day by everyone going to the shore to say farewell. But when they get to the shore in this common practice, they do a very uncommon thing. And when I was reading that, I want to ask the question of when will our practice become uncommon and unique as we walk in seemingly common practice? Because what happens is we walk in a common practice of what every, everyone else does. We wake up. We get coffee. We go to work. We spend eight hours, ten hours, twelve hours of work. We come home. We have dinner. We see our kids, see our wife, unless you're me. And then we, 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 go, we go through the motions. We, we, it's a common thing. We go to the grocery store. We fill up gas. We, we, we come to church on a Saturday or Sunday unless you're, you know, not here and you need to get saved. But we, 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 go, we go through these common things, right? But when will we start to look uncommon in the midst of what's common? Because it's really hard to point out these days who is a believer in Jesus versus who is not in the common issues of life. 
And especially in a time where everyone's arguing over mask or no mask. They're arguing over is COVID or, or do, do we quarantine, do we not? Do we support this, do we not? Do we honor the governor, do we honor the mayor, do we do this? There's so much divide and no one can tell who's a Christian and who's not because nothing looks uncommon. And believers are not coming together to say let's stand and pray. We're just huddled in our secret places which is not necessarily a bad thing. We need to be in the secret place. We need to be praying in our homes and in our churches and in our houses. But there is nothing uncommon these days about believers. We're not doing anything different. And these people, they were walking in the common practice of saying farewell. But in the midst of it, everyone saw one thing. They knelt and they prayed with Paul. 1 Peter 2.11 says, Dear friends, I warn you as temporary residents and foreigners to keep away from worldly desires that wage war against your souls. You are not meant to look the same. It says if you are a believer, if you are reborn as a man or woman of God, you are to look like something, a temporary resident or a foreigner to this world. What, what, is, a, what is an alien? An alien or a foreigner? When you come into a country, you look different, you have different practice, you have different culture. Yet for some reason, the, the American Christian looks exactly the same as the American unbeliever. Our, our opinions are often similar. Our practices are often similar. The only thing that differentiates us is we happen to go to a Christian church once a week. And he says... You are to be walking as temporary residents and foreigners among this common culture. People should be able to identify you as an alien in this culture, as a foreigner, someone representing heaven and not the fallen world that you were birthed into. You are not to operate as citizens of the world, rather citizens of a kingdom that you claim to be reborn in, walking in an authority representing something that has been forgotten. What's been forgotten? You've got stories like in the Bible where Paul is, is placing his hands on people and people are raising from the dead and, and healing the sick and healing the blind. And, and, and there, there's, we read two weeks ago that there was such worship to God that the economy started to shift and the, the economy started to, to fall and, and all these things that were not godly could not stand on its own. And today, everything not of God is doing better than the things of God because no one's taking a stand to walk and look different. And we wonder why people who don't believe have no reason to want to know our God. Because our God ain't powerful enough to change our culture. Why would they want him? Well, people need to get saved. Well, show them that he's real by a life that is totally uncommon. By power that they have not seen. Things that they have not heard. It's all right. So... Paul leaves, and remember, God says, go to Jerusalem, you're going to get jailed. And then believers prophesy, hey man, there's trouble, don't go to Jerusalem. Well, picking up in verse 7, uh, seven, seven verse 7, <laughs> the next stop after leaving Tyre was that word, where we greeted the brothers and sisters and stayed for one day. The next day we, won, we went on to Caesarea, stayed at the home of Philip the Evangelist, one of the seven men who had been chosen to distribute food. He had four unmarried daughters who had the gift of prophecy. Praise God. Several days later, 
A man named Agabus, who also had the gift of prophecy, arrived from Judea. He came over, took Paul's belt, and bound his own feet and hands with it. Now, I don't know about you, but if you take my belt, the last thing you're going to do is wrap it around my feet and hands. This dude was bold. He takes Paul's belt, bounds his feet and hands. Then he said, the Holy Spirit declares, so shall the owner of this belt be bound by the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem and turned over to the Gentiles. And when he heard this, we, now remember this is Luke writing, we and the local believers all begged Paul, don't go to Jerusalem. They're all getting the same message from the Holy Spirit. There's trouble in Jerusalem. And Paul, for your, but then they say, Paul, for your safety, don't go. You're going to be bound up and you're going to be imprisoned. And so, so often when we get a revelation of danger, our first instinct is to step back, retreat, and wait. But look at what Paul says in verse 13. Why all this weeping? You're breaking my heart. I'm ready not only to be jailed at Jerusalem, but even to die for the sake of the Lord Jesus. When it was clear that we couldn't persuade him, we gave up and said, well, the Lord's will be done. Paul said, I am willing to die for God. I know there's trouble. The Holy Spirit told me I'm going to be in jail from town to town. But God wants me to go to Jerusalem, and that is the only word that I need. What we have here is something very common in the gift of prophecy, especially in the church today. Right word, wrong application. They all heard right. There's trouble in Jerusalem. But then they put a human application on it. They said, well, if there's trouble in Jerusalem, let's reason and tell Paul, don't go. And Paul said, I know there's trouble, but you're getting the application wrong. Because God told me there is trouble, but you need to be there. Genuine and true prophecy with an, it, with an added human application that was not part of the prophecy. They heard right, the application was wrong. Their application should have been Prepare, get ready, get your spiritual armor on, get ready for battle. They should have encouraged him that God was with him. 1 Corinthians 14.3, but one who prophesies strengthens others, encourages them, and comforts them. Just because you see danger does not mean you are to warn people and scare them. And what's happened in the church and you can turn on TV or you can put on social media, especially with COVID and, and the new swine flu and all the other crazy crap that's going on right now. Every Christian that prophesizes, oh, it's coming to an end and we need to get ready and oh, no. And, no, 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 no. It's not to warn to tell Christians, oh, y'all better, better strap up. Y'all better, it's going to get bad. No, 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 no. The reason we're getting the words of it's all coming 
is to prepare us and encourage us to lean into God's voice. What if the reason they got prophetic words of it's bad in Jerusalem was not to warn Paul not to go, but to confirm what Paul heard, which would help him be settled even more into walking into a bad situation. But so many of us, we don't get the confirming words, and when God says go here, instead of everyone saying, yeah, prepare, equip, you're going, everyone sees something and we say, oh no, you need to pause. God wouldn't want you to walk into a bad situation. God wouldn't want you to walk into danger. When in fact, God could be saying, that's exactly where I want you. Are you prepared to make a sacrifice so that my name would be made great? And the fact of the matter is, the reason why the name of God is not great in America is because no one's willing to sacrifice their fame, their, 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 their status, their, uh, their, their, their what, uh, what do you call it? Um, yeah. No one's willing to sacrifice a thing, the reputation. No one's willing to sacrifice a thing because when we see danger, we stop. Paul was only bound to one thing. What does God want from me? Romans 12.1 says this, and so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you, give your bodies to God because of all he's done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice. We've dumbed that down. You know what a sacrifice means? A flipping sacrifice. Willing to give all of you up so that he will be made great. Every desire, giving it up. Every want, giving it up. Everything, I'm giving it up, and I'm bound to one thing. Not what I want, not what my mind wants, not what my heart wants, not what my flesh wants, what God wants. I want to sacrifice everything so that he will be made great. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind that he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. He was ready to be a sacrifice and not putting a limit on what sacrifice could be. You see, the warnings were meant to prepare him, not make him question. And the question tonight is, are you prepared to be a sacrifice? And maybe we aren't prepared for sacrifice because instead of being a church body where we are encouraged and strengthened and confirmed the task and sacrifice to come, we misinterpret and we shame people and we scare people because when we see danger, we automatically think bad sign. And then destiny steps are missed because we say it's too hard, don't go, it's too dangerous. But what if destiny is in the thing that looks like it's the worst possible situation? There are so many times in Scripture where men walk into their destiny because they walk into a seemingly bad situation. Peter, one of the disciples, one of the apostles, was fishing one day. And by the way, Peter sucked at fishing. Yeah, I say, I say that word. It's all right. Jesus walked up, and he's looking at Peter. He's like, hey, man, you caught anything? You've been fishing all day. I don't see no fish in those nets. And Peter's like, Nah, we ain't caught nothing. And Jesus is like, hey, why don't you throw it on the other side? And Peter's like, well, I've been trying to do this all day, but all right. And then he catches a load of fish. And then Jesus says, why don't you give that up? Because you're meant to be a fisher, but you're fishing for the wrong thing. But think about what he was called to give up. 
give up your career and the way you're making money to provide for your family, leave your family, and walk with me for three years. Not exactly what most people would consider a good idea. Think about Jesus. The first miracle he ever did was turn water into wine. And before he did it, he says, it's not my time yet. You know why he said that? Because the moment people started to see the power of God manifest in him, the clock started on his life. What if Jesus was supposed to have more than three years of ministry? You ever thought about that? But the needs of the people at the party moved him to say, I will sacrifice five years for three, ten years for three. You ever thought about that? He was ready to do whatever the Father asked him to do, and that was to serve the people. Over Paul, he was successful as someone who killed Christians. And one day he got blind and said, I'm changing my whole career. And for the rest of his life, it would be stoning in jail. And yet we preach a gospel that says, if you get saved, you'll prosper all the days of your life. That's true, but define prosper. Because what if prosper is simply a peace you never had? What if prosper is simply you never have anxiety again, even though you're in a much dire situation? Because our thinking has been programmed into a common way, into a worldly culture, and we don't understand heaven. Are y'all getting this? We often find it too easy to judge God's will for someone else. And now, the next verse from Romans 12, and I quote this verse every week, but I want to show you the next part of it. It says this, don't copy the behaviors and customs of the world. Let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. I quote that every week. Be renewed by the transforming of your mind. But look at what it says. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. Why should you not copy the world? Not just because you're aliens and strangers. Why should you not change the way you think? Not just because you're a new creation. It's so that you will learn to know God's will, which is good and perfect. Change the way you think so you understand his will. Because sometimes his will will not make sense because of the way you think. But if you'll change the way you think, his will into a seemingly bad place where you thought God would not want me there could suddenly take a turn into that's exactly where I need to step into. Because you're not looking at through a worldly eye anymore. You're not looking at through, well, let me, let me look at this uh, with my mind and, well, this is a bad idea. This is, no, 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 no. Change the way you think. Be renewed by the transforming of your mind so that you'll know his will, which is good. I posted on Facebook this week something, and if you haven't figured it out yet, when I post up on Facebook, it's because I'm fishing. I posted something on Facebook, and I asked a question. How many of you know what the question was? Say it, say it loud. Yeah. What I asked, define the goodness of God. And I got so many right answers. All of them are right. Y'all, y'all, y'all pass. 
kind of. I got Jesus saves us. The goodness of God is love, grace, mercy, his good character. I got indescribable. I got open arms. I got forgiving. I got blessings. I got perfect. I got faithful. Those are all right. Those are all good. But you know what I didn't see posted when I said goodness of God? I didn't see he takes away. I didn't say he allows bad things to happen. See, we think goodness, we define it by what we think good is. But what if his good nature says, I'm going to allow this to be taken from you? What if his good nature says, I'm going to allow you to reap what you sow, and then I'm going to redeem you from it? But we think good is rescue. Rescue and redemption are two different things. Y'all picking up what I'm putting down? We didn't hear allowing bad things, or we didn't, I didn't see he wants all of us more than just worship, but a sacrificial worship. What if goodness says, Paul, I want you to go to a place where you will be destined to be bound up, even though my blood released you from chains? Think about that. Jesus released Paul from the chains of death, and his destiny was to be in chains by his own accord. Because Paul could have simply said, the heck with this, I ain't going to Jerusalem. But he didn't do that. Paul said, I'm willing to sacrifice my life. And if my call is to preach the gospel in chains, that's exactly where I'll go. What if you were released from chains so that you will sacrificially go back into them on your own accord to represent him. But we don't define good like that because you haven't changed your mind on how you see things. And you know why people lose faith? Because people preach faith means good, 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 good. But what if good looks like this sometimes? You know why we don't think like that? Because our minds are not prepared for it. So when we think of God's will, sacrifice, and death, and pain, and torture are never options. And yet the 12 apostles, they all walked in the will of God. And you know what happened to all of them? They all died. And one of them named John got put on an island. He went crazy, and he wrote a book that no one knows what the heck it means called Revelation. And we're still trying to figure it out. And by the way, I think Revelation is more of a love letter than an end-of-the-world book. Read it through that lens. Just give me a little homework. Paul was in the renewing of his mind, and he embraced it, and he prepared for sacrifice because pleasing God was all he cared about. So even though they all said, don't go, guess what Paul did? He went to Jerusalem. So look what happens in verse 15. After this, we packed our things and left for Jerusalem. Some believers from Caesarea accompanied us, and they took us to the home of Manasseh, a man originally from Cyprus and one of the early believers. When we arrived, the brothers and sisters in Jerusalem welcomed us warmly. The next day, Paul went with us to meet with James, and all the elders of the Jerusalem church were present. After greeting them, Paul gave a detailed account of the things that God had accomplished among the Gentiles through his ministry. 
after hearing this, they praised God. And then they said, you know, dear brother, how many thousands of Jews have also believed? And they all followed the law of Moses very seriously. They arrived in Jerusalem. They were greeted warmly by the church. Now, remember, in the back of Paul's mind, remember what God said. When you get to Jerusalem, your destiny's jailed. He gets to Jerusalem. He's being greeted warmly by the church. And Paul shares all these incredible things that God has been doing through his ministry. And then they praise God. Not Paul, God. Hebrews 13, 15, Therefore let us offer through Jesus a continual sacrifice of praise to God, proclaiming allegiance to his name. In everything we do, we have the ability to offer a sacrifice of praise to God through Jesus who made a way for us. Not to get it for ourselves, not to pat ourselves on the back. Everything we do, praise. And that's just not church stuff. And I've, I've taught this many times, but I'm going to say it again tonight. Your ministry is not bound to a church. Your ministry is your career. Your ministry is your calling. Your, your ministry is what you are called to do. If you're in the medical community or the, or, or the safety community, a police officer, a firefighter, you, your, your call is to save lives. Give God praise for that. If you're meant to go be a secretary for someone else that you can't stand, Give God praise for the ability to make their job easier. Everything is the ability to give God sacrifice of praise. It may not feel good to praise him for what's going on. So they're praising God. And the verses that proceed and proceed this in Hebrews 13, 15, where it talks about a sacrifice of praise, I want you to look at what it says because we need to understand this and, and seeing what Paul's about to go through. It says in verse 12, Jesus suffered and died outside the city gates to make his people holy by means of his own blood. Why is that significant? Because sacrifice was usually done in the temple. Jesus was not sacrificed in the temple. He was outside the city gates. So let us go out to him outside the camp and bear the disgrace he bore. Someone shout, bear the disgrace. For this world is not our permanent home. We are looking forward to a home yet to come. Therefore, and let me just say, the home yet to come is not a place in the clouds. It's the place in the clouds marrying the world. So let me just make sure you understand. This is our home. It's just in a place where it has not been redeemed yet. So start loving it and stop polluting it. Stop cursing it. It says the earth is groaning, waiting for the sons of man to put it into order. We're not going up in the clouds to live forever. That is a temporary place for when he restores heaven on earth. It's called the New Jerusalem. Read it. That, that's a huge spider. That's weird. Be blessed. <laughs> First, that was a big spider. Pretty sure that was a demon manifested. <laughs> Verse 14. This world is not our permanent home. We are looking forward to our home yet to come. Therefore, let us offer through Jesus a continual sacrifice of praise to God, proclaiming our allegiance to his name. 16, don't forget to do good. Share with those in need. These are the sacrifices that please God. What is the title of the sermon? Prepare for sacrifice. Jesus was not sacrificed in the, in the temple. 
Jesus was not prepared nicely for us. It says he bore the disgrace and sacrificed himself for us. We are looking forward to, to a home yet to come. So in getting there, God says, there are three things that qualify sacrifices that please me. And when we, when we read the scripture, we always read the last two. Do good and share with those in need. But the one before that, there are three things in this passage that are acceptable sacrifices. Do good, share with those in need, and bear in the disgrace that he bore. But when God calls you to bear disgrace, we call it the enemy. Because we won't renew the way we think. And the disgrace doesn't need to come by your means, but by standing in the name of Jesus. No matter what it costs. You know what was about to cost Paul? Jail time. Over and over. Let's read verse 20 again. After hearing this, they praised God. And then they said, you know, dear brothers, how many thousands of Jews have also believed? And they also follow the law of Moses very seriously. The elders of the church in Jerusalem were happy that God was doing um, uh, what God was doing among the Gentiles. And then they said, but the Jewish believers here, they still all, they adhere to the law of Moses like it's better than grace. They, they hold the law above the grace. They don't understand that grace fulfills the law. Let me just, grace fulfills. The New Testament does not cancel out the old. It fulfills the mandate of the old. It doesn't cancel it out. You can't skip Old Testament. The Old Testament is very clear. You have to have the sacrifice of a lamb, of a lamb for the atonement of sin. So Jesus says in the New Testament, I am the lamb. There are certain things that are not needed. There are certain things that still are. That's why Paul says, you know what, Gentiles? You don't have to be circumcised. You don't have to do that, but you do need to adhere to this, this, and this. Y'all understanding this? There, there, there's grace and law. Well, the Jewish believers, they're all avid for the law. And they still think that the law saves you. So this is what it says in verse 21. Y'all getting this? The Jewish believers here in Jerusalem have been told that you're teaching that the Jews who live among the Gentiles to turn their backs on the law of Moses. They've heard that you teach them not to circumcise their kids or follow other Jewish customs. What should we do? They will certainly hear that you've come. Basically, the believers in Jerusalem were saying this. We heard that Paul has become anti-Jewish. But that wasn't true. If you remember, Paul had no issue with the Jewish people practicing their customs. He just wanted them to understand your customs don't save you. Jesus does. In fact, he even proved this because he took the Nazarite vow in his ministry in his third missionary journey. And remember, when he was done, it says he shaved his head because in the Nazarite vow in the culture, when you went to start a new mission, you would let your hair grow until it was finished. He, he didn't have a problem with customs and, tr and tradition. But he said, it doesn't save you. Well, because of these rumors, guess what? When he goes into Jerusalem, it don't matter how good he's been doing. All they're going to see is that man's anti-Jewish. And in verse 23, the elders come up with an idea. 
Here's what we want you to do, Paul. We got four men who have completed their vow. Go with them to the temple and join them in the, pur the purification ceremony, paying for them to have their heads ritually shaved. I must be so pure in Jewish eyes. And then everyone will know that the rumors are false and that you yourself observe the Jewish laws. As for the Gentile believers, they should do what we already told them in a letter. They should abstain from eating food offered to idols, from consuming blood or the meat of strange animals, and from sexual morality. He says, join these four men in their vow so people will see that you honor Jewish law. So they will know that you don't preach against Jewish laws and customs. And Paul agreed to it because he doesn't have any issues with the Jewish laws. He just wants to make sure they know those laws don't save you. He wanted to show, I never came to teach you that you need to forsake Moses or ignore the Jewish customs. I came to teach you that they were never enough. And then the elders say, we recognize that non-Jews don't have to do this. We just want you to show them that you love Jews. Verse 26. <laughs> this is okay. So Paul went to the temple the next day with the other men. They had already started the purification ritual, so he publicly announced the date when their vows would end and sacrifices would be offered for each of them. Paul agreed to it. Their ceremonies were useless, but they weren't destructive. And let me just say this. Are you prepared to sacrifice your opinion for the honor that could possibly bring unity? Because in Paul's opinion, he had to do a dang thing of this Jewish culture, but he wanted to honor the culture. And yet, in these days, when someone says you don't have to wear a mask, oh, they don't have faith. And when someone says you should wear a mask, you think they don't. And we have the most abide right now, mask or no mask. Why can't we just honor whatever opinion you flip and have? We got people with masks in here. That's cool. We got a lot of people with no masks. That's cool too. Why are we divided on such a stupid issue? Let them wear their masks. Let them not. It's not that difficult, Christians. And you wonder why no one wants to be a believer in Jesus. I, I mean, if I wasn't a believer, I don't know if I want to worship the Jesus God too if all y'all do is argue about mask or no mask. <laughs> Paul says, I'll honor whatever, the, I'll honor it. Because I want unity. So he goes in and he says, well, I'm not all about masks, but I'll put one on. Kind of. It's a stretch. Look at verse 27. The seven days were almost ended with some Jews from the province of Asia saw Paul in the temple and roused a mob against him. They grabbed him. Yelling, men of Israel, help us. This is the man who preaches against our people everywhere and tells everybody to disobey the Jewish laws. He was just in the temple doing the Jewish law. He speaks against the temple. He defiles his holy place by bringing in Gentiles. And verse 29, for earlier that day, he had seen him in the city with Trophimus, a Gentile from Ephesus, and they assumed Paul had taken him into the temple. 
Paul didn't take them into the temple because he honored their customs. He honored their customs for the sake of unity. We've got to start outdoing each other with honor. Outdo each other with honor. Don't let your opinion be the thing that guides you. Let honor be the thing that guides you. Verse 30, the whole city was rocked by these accusations and a great riot followed. Paul was grabbed, dragged out of the temple. Immediately the gates were closed behind them. They were trying to kill him. Word reached the commander of the Roman regiment that all Jerusalem was in an uproar. He immediately called out his soldiers and officers, ran down among the crowd. When the mob saw that the commander and the troops coming, they stopped beating Paul. And God led him here. God led him here. And then the commander arrested him and ordered him bound with two chains. And he asked the crowd who he was and what he had done. Some shouted one thing, some another. That's just what is happening in America today. People shouting over one thing. They don't even know what they're shouting about. Black lives matter, blue lives matter, white lives matter, all lives matter, this life matter, that life. No one knows what they're shouting about. COVID, corona, I don't even know what it's called anymore. COVID-19, swine flu, I don't know what the heck it is. Some shouted one thing, some another. Since he couldn't find the truth on all the uproar and confusion, he ordered that Paul be taken to the fortress. Where was he going? A jail. And as Paul reached the stairs, the mob grew so violent that the soldiers had to lift him to their soldiers to protect him. Crowd serpent. And the crowd followed behind him shouting, kill him. All because he didn't practice Jewish culture, but he was doing it to honor them. When Paul went into the temple, he went in prepared because he knew what his destiny was. What was his destiny? I'm going to end up in chains. Remember what the dude prophesied in, in verse 11? He says he took his belt and he bound his hands and his feet. His hands were bound and his feet were bound. Two chains. What happened here? He was bound by how many chains? Two. The prophecy was correct. He was prepared, and because he was prepared, he did not hesitate to enter in with the invitation. And I believe that so many of us are scared to enter into areas because we're not truly prepared. We operate out of fear. And instead of, I'm prepared to sacrifice anything so that I will walk in the name of Jesus, we hesitate and we retreat. And the crazy thing is, they dragged him out, almost killed him for a mere assumption. They just assumed that he brought that Gentile in. I think part of being prepared to sacrifice is being willing to sacrifice all the things that people could call you on. Because sometimes you could get called out on a mere assumption. You know what Ephesians 4, 21 through 24 says? It says, since you've heard about Jesus and learned that the truth comes from him, Throw off your old sinful nature and your former way of life, which is corrupted by lust and deception. Instead, let the Spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. Put on your new nature, created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. Put on your new nature. Don't live in something that people can pull the hypocrite card on. And we all mess up. We all go through things. That's why 
in that very chapter, at the beginning of the chapter in verses 1 through 3, it says, Therefore I, a prisoner of serving the Lord, beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling, for you have been called by God. Always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other, making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. People are going to fail. Embrace them. Make allowance for faults because of love. Make every effort to keep yourselves united in the spirit, bonding yourself together with peace so that we could be prepared to sacrifice everything, no matter what it might cost. We got to be in this together because sometimes where God's leading is not easy and it's not pleasant. But it doesn't mean he doesn't call us. And as Paul was being beaten and dragged, and they're having the crowd serve him because the crowd's trying to kill him, it says in verse 37, as Paul was about to be taken inside, he said to the commander, may I have a word with you? Do you know the Greek? The commander asked, surprised. In the middle of being dragged and almost beaten, Paul says something that shakes the commander. He speaks in Greek. May I have a word with you? Why did that shake him? Because in a moment where people treated Paul as this person who wasn't deserving to be there, the man saw that Paul was a man educated in the Greek world, not just a random person from the streets with no education. He regarded Paul differently. And in verse 38, look at what the commander says. He says, aren't you the Egyptian who led a rebellion some time ago and took 4,000 members of the assassins out in the desert? No. This was all assumption, all lies. No. I'm a Jew. What was he getting beaten and killed for? They thought he was a man that hated Jews. He says, I'm a Jew and a citizen of Tarsus and Cilicia, which is an important city. Please let me talk to these people. Now, if I was Paul, the last thing I would ask to do is talk to the people trying to kill me. I'd ask for a get-out-of-jail-free card or a horse or take me out. Take me to jail. Take me anywhere. But he says, let me just talk to the people. And he found favor. And the last verse of chapter 21 and verse 40, it says the commander agreed. So Paul stood on the stairs and motioned to the people to be quiet. And soon a deep silence enveloped the crowd, and he addressed them in their own language, Aramaic. Paul preached to the crowd that was trying to kill him. In a moment, Paul got the chance to share the gospel of the kingdom with the crowd who wanted to kill him. Why? Because he was able to handle a situation so eloquently and so skillfully because he was prepared for sacrifice. Can you imagine Paul? He's up with this crowd who just tried to kill him, and he was already prepared. Prophetic word as prophetic word, and the Holy Spirit telling him, you're going to Jerusalem, you're going to be in jail, it's going to get bad. And he was so prepared for it that in the midst of being jailed, in the midst of being tried to be murdered by a crowd, the only thing on his mind was, this is exactly where I'm supposed to be. So I'm, I'm not going to try to escape. I'm not going to panic. 
I am moved by the peace and security of God. And what he says is, let me talk to him. And in a moment, this is like the third language he's speaking by now, preaches to the crowd because he was prepared for sacrifice. He was prepared that this crowd might kill him for what he was about to say. Because what he was about to tell all these Jewish people was that their practices and customs were not enough. But he didn't care. All he cared about was that the name of Jesus and the gospel of the kingdom was preached. Where have we lost that? Why have we become a people that are so timid We don't even mention God at work because we're scared we're going to get fired. That's how real it's getting. Teachers can't even pray for students at school anymore. And then we justify it walking in timidity, walking in fear. And I don't really know what my opinion is about that. I'm not going to put up a Facebook this week that says, teachers, go in your school and pray and get risk to be fired even though you can't go into the schools this year because COVID. <laughs> I'm not going that level. I don't know what my position on that is. I haven't really prayed into it. But we're moved by the fear of losing so much. And I'm not telling you to, to go into your job this week and, you know, Walk in with a cross, and I'm not, I'm not saying that. But what I am saying is, are you prepared for sacrifice at the end of the moment, whether it be in a workplace, behind a desk? What if in the moment when talking to an employee, what if God said, share Jesus? Would you do it out of obedience, or would you rob him of eternity because of fear of being fired? I'm not talking about take a position going in. I'm talking about listening to the voice of God. Are you prepared to sacrifice anything if he would have you do it? And you know how you get prepared for it? You believe this verse, and I close with this in Isaiah 41.10. Do not be afraid. God says, I am with you. Don't be discouraged. I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will hold you up with my victorious right hand. If you would grab onto that and believe that with everything, you'll be prepared for any sacrifice he asks of you. Not every call of God is into a good place or a good situation, but we've got to be willing to say yes, no matter what the cost. Be prepared for sacrifice. Amen.